So how the fuck have you guys been? It's been like, uh, what, you know, a week? A week since we last talked? Literally nothing has changed. Yeah. yeah. Exact same. It's, Everything sucks. <laughs> could have been yesterday. We could have recorded the last episode yesterday. Like, it's everything's the same. Although I did, I, I will say one significant event of the week was um, instead of Friday being my pizza day, Saturday was my pizza day, which means I had pizza for breakfast this morning. Oh, you are so Sunday. bad. I know. <laughs> well, that's the big. That's the big news of the week, guys. Pizza day shifted. And I'll I'll keep everyone up to date as to whether next week I, I stick with Saturday. Could be yeah, a thing. well, as the Aquabats say, "Hooray for Pizza Day!" Uh, <laughs> so I had, white, um, I had White Castle, which is you had White Castle, which is um not uh, fortunately not a very common event in my life, but oh, still God. too common. <laughs> can you can you make it like not an event in your life? <laughs> I'm working on it. I had Ugh. my first McDonald's the other month for the first time in probably a decade. I felt really really guilty about it but i craved filet of fish i just absolutely craved it oh those filet of fish uh, sandwiches are fucking <laughs> oh incredible. the last they, time i had mcdonald's was with, was with you mark we were uh we had just done the sleep out we we um the next morning we woke up and, and went to, to mcdonald's oh yeah like at five thirty in the morning or something yeah that was the last time that, I had McDonald's. i've never been more like relieved and happy to be in a mcdonald's <laughs> all it takes is sleeping out on the street all night <laughs> Yeah. But I will say, pro tip, it'll save you a lot of money, um, is if you order, the, so the Dr. Prager's or, or a similar kind of uh, non-GMO brand, they make little fish fillets, uh, they're frozen, and you just fry them up in the pan. You get like a nice soft bun, you get you get like some kind of you know cheddar cheese or American cheese if you want, make, make some tartar sauce with, with pickles, and you can you can completely like reconstitute the, the McDonald's ones, and it, it's like, costs you like $2, and they're good. I'll, uh, I'm taking huh. notes. Yeah. Just saying, yeah. listeners. Save it. Save it for a rainy day. There's like four ingredients, including the bun, so it's 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 pretty hard. All uh, right, so <laughs> let's 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 move past fast food. Let's let's jump into to the to the meat of what we're going to talk about today. So, um, a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, Trump had a tweet. Um, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, uh, which was talking about the George Floyd uh, protests and the um, the the rioting. And uh, Trump's tweet wasn't removed, but Twitter did put a filter over it that said uh, and, and justified that by saying this is glorifying violence, but we don't think it should be removed. We think that we should just put this thing over it and then, you know, it can be preserved for posterity or whatever. Um, and Trump, of course, called it censorship and went on a whole a whole tirade. And as, as we know, his his administration has has been. Um, very, very much in favor of cracking down on what it sees as censorship from social media platforms. Um, so that's that's sort of where we're gonna where we're gonna go today, boys. Well, that's stupid on that's stupid on multiple counts. One, it's not censorship. They didn't even take it down, right? Um, I mean, I, I would call like putting a little flag on it is 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 a pretty weak move from Twitter if they're actually if they actually care about like not promoting the glorification of violence. Like you would probably just take it down, but. Um, so I'm on the other, I'm on the other side of this, and we'll we'll get into that uh, today. Although I have to say I agreed with the decision that Twitter made, um, and I think that the left has somewhat solidified around the idea that that social media companies are private entities and have a responsibility to regulate content on their platform. Um, and you know they've welcomed the deplatforming of right wing psychos like uh, like Alex Jones and and Laura Loomer. 
Uh, they've seen that as a, as a net positive. Um, and, you know, it was, it, I mean, admittedly, it was pretty funny when Laura Loomer chained herself outside Twitter headquarters demanding her account be reinstated. Yeah, kind of sad, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, but also somewhat funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I admire, I guess, the tenacity. <laughs> very, um, how very politic but, of you. Well, she's running for Congress. I, I don't, I forget, yeah. If, I guess they probably Florida already had its primary, so I haven't. I, I mean, I'm sure she didn't win, but I think she raised a decent amount of money just because of her her support from the far right. That's crazy. Like as far as this deplatforming thing goes, right? I I I th- I think that these these social media platforms have a right to not let their um, communities turn into cesspools, right? But I I do think like there should be an outside entity. Mm-hmm. That that um, decides this by committee and that has oversight versus just Jack Dorsey. Uh, in oh, absolutely. Room. You know, I think that's where the the danger comes in. There, um, there are no. I, I think there are very few people on earth who who are worse people to be kind of deciding what, for example, is online harassment or, or even worse, hate speech uh, or incitement to violence are the. CEOs of these tech companies who a have like no life experience or reason to be an expert on this stuff and b have every incentive to not censor their platforms because they want to make as much money as possible. Zuckerberg, of course, being the prime offender in this regard. Um, but yeah, I just think it's crazy that like they don't they they're not you know consulting at least if they are consulting with with outside kind of expert groups and, and civil rights organizations. I mean, they do it to to a bare minimum. Oh yeah. So I I may I may fall I, I may disagree with you gentlemen then a little bit today uh and hopefully by the end of this conversation we all have a a a better understanding of um of the problem and our listeners have a better understanding of the problem and understand the the different um aspects that are at play uh i propose to you gentlemen that social media censorship however minimal ought to be viewed with extreme skepticism and uh so that's what we're going to be that's sort of where we're going to be headed today uh hello and welcome to another episode of gilded age the podcast where we discuss how and why we're fucked as always i'm walker bragman i'm alex koch i'm mark colangelo today we're going to be continuing our series on speech with a discussion of social media its effect on our national discourse and of course as we've said censorship And now it's time for our weekly segment, Tweet of the Week. Every week, we want to highlight really the best of online, the smartest thought leaders and the biggest galaxy brains of the digital era. And today, I'm going to give you guys the pleasure of hearing a tweet from controversial lawyer Lisa Bloom. Um, I This is in no way an endorsement of Lisa Bloom. She is a, a bit of a, a complicated past uh, defending and... Um, litigating against uh, sexual assaulters, but that's not why we're here. Um, Lisa, this morning on Sunday, the 28th of June, uh, quote tweeted a TMZ tweet. Uh, It said, Mike Tyson takes selfies with crowd on Venice Beach. There's a photo of him and a young woman kind of putting their hands up. 
Mike's got his mask around his neck. And so Lisa Bloom quote tweets it and says, wearing a mask under your chin is like wearing a condom on your balls. (laughs) (laughs) I'd give that like a seven out of 10 as far as tweets go. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, I think it's pretty accurate, honestly. Like, I, I, I LOL'd when I read it because, um, I mean, that's Did one of my... Did you say you LOL'd? <laughs> yeah, I LOL'd. It's now, Jesus. it's it's in the Webster's Dictionary, man. Come on. Oh, God. Times. It's now a word. Um, but no, I, I laugh because, um, like, that's one of my, just like one of the most aggravating things to me uh, in the COVID era is just seeing people with masks around their necks uh, in public. Like, it's probably every third person who has a mask. It's actually not even performing its function. Oh, my so, God, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> the other day, I let two people into the building who were, uh, I guess, I guess from management and uh, that neither of them had masks on. And, oh my God! That's and like that's one of them ridiculous. turned to thank me. It's like, dude, don't don't even look at me. <laughs> like it, it will it will be it it'll be just the dumbest tragedy of all time if we end up with hundreds of thousands more people dying and having to go back into phase one again just because we can't because masks have become a political thing and we can't figure out how to use them. It will be. I mean, one. It really already is. We're we're in one of the dumbest times in history, and I'm including the dark ages in that history. Uh, it's amazing how how dumb we've become as a society. But you know, it is. We have to. It's driven by our leaders, who are the ultimate morons and, and frankly, in a lot of cases, evil assholes. Well, we get the leadership we deserve. I just don't. I just don't understand. Like, if if Trump had like any fucking common sense at all, like he would be he would be taking this crisis seriously and, and standing out in front. His administration seems to, or his, his campaign rather seems to have taken the position that acknowledging that this crisis exists is um, like bad for is, is inherent, will inherently be bad because he's president and no way, no handling of this crisis could reflect positively on him. And it's, it's, it's stupid. It's just it's just him doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on his initial fuck up of not yeah. recognizing what this is, and he just now he can't. The incompetence. Is he can't staggering. stop saying he can't stop saying that you know if we only if we only stop testing, we wouldn't have any cases. Like it's uh, just in the stupidity how, how did is that incredible. Go away, by the way, that nothing ever happened with that. He when he's, he well, he, he keeps said in front it. of you know I don't know. 4,000 people, however many people came to his rally right. that, uh, a million, it was a million. Yeah, Brad Parscale told me it was a million people that, so. uh, he, he told, he, he told his, uh, administration to stop pushing for testing so that the numbers would look lower. Right. Well, it, well, what happened was, um, pe- people around him kind of said it was a joke. Uh, I think Mike Pence included, and then Trump ended up saying, no, I meant it. And then, but like there, that's amazing ad footage for the Democrat. I think the Lincoln project who are not Democrats are these weird Republicans who <laughs> kind of cl- claimed to not want Trump and the Republican senators to, to keep their jobs. Uh, I think they put out an ad like pretty immediately on it. Like they're, they're very fast to it. Um, it wasn't a bad ad. The, um, the worst incumbent. I mean, the weak, one of the weakest incumbents ever maybe i mean this his mishandling of this crisis is truly yeah staggering and and even a candidate like biden could could win i mean if look look if i had the 
if I were running for president against against the current president in our current crazy time, like I would be doing what all these governors do whenever there's a crisis is you have a daily briefing. You you wear your like your your special jacket. You know, you're like get to work jacket. If it's a hurricane, it's like a green one. And I don't know, you know, you put on some dumb costume and you go out there and you you, you, you can have very scripted if you want. I mean, Biden would need it very scripted. So like have a very short, very scripted thing. Talk about real solutions to this every day. Get out there. And, and, you know, the campaign and, and now, now a lot of the political reporters are, are, are kind of writing like this, oh, this is what a smart strategy, just like shut them up in a basement. It's like, uh, maybe, but like, if things change, if the economy ticks up, Biden would have nothing. People be like, where was Biden? And now for a message from our sponsor. This episode of Gilded Age is brought to you by Cambridge and, excuse me, Emmer Data. When we were Cambridge Analytica, sure, we had white nationalist Steve Bannon on our board. Yeah, we were heavily financed by right-wing mega-donor Robert Mercer. And okay, we might have harvested user data from maybe around 87 million Facebook users and sold it to the Trump campaign. But we're different now. We're Emmerdata, a brand new data consultancy. At Emmerdata, we value your right to privacy. In fact, we're partnering with Mark Zuckerberg and the NSA to develop the world's toughest encryption technology for our new text and video app. Next time you'd like to send Attorney General William Barr some fan mail, make sure you're using the Emmerdata app, the new communications app that will never, ever create a psychological profile of you and hand it off to fascist political operatives. Emmerdata. Forget about all that Cambridge Analytica stuff. So it's hard to imagine our lives today without social media, um, which is funny because uh, you know it was created relatively recently, uh, within the last within the last uh, you know twenty years really. YouTube was created actually in, in two thousand five, um, February two thousand five. Facebook was created February two thousand four, and Twitter was created in March of two thousand six. I mean, we're the, we are the generation that grew up uh, sort of before social media and during the, the rise of social media. We are, we are the, another way to think about it is we are the subjects of the largest scale psychological experiment uh, in, <laughs> God, in the history weak. of humanity. No, that's, that's, I think that's totally accurate. I think a lot about like how we're just starting to really see the effects of social media, like many years after, you know, relatively speaking, a number of years after it was, it, it kind of came to be. Um, and it, it's, it's pretty troubling. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's so, it's so weird when you think about like what the original promise of social media was that it would, it would revolutionize the world. It would connect us all. Um, and it would, it would, it would open us up to new ideas and whatnot. And really, I think what's, what's actually happened is that we've formed, uh, ideological bubbles around ourselves. Um, so we, we form bubbles and it's, you know, I love the, the, pro the idea that, that it would give humanity a, a central nervous system basically, but it's like, it's unclear, like, you know, how that nets out when, when every, when we're basically feeling the pain of every person on earth at all times, like, can, it, can we sustain that? Will, will ultimately be a force for the better or, um, is it just so destabilizing? And that's, that's a very good question because the world is online. I mean, uh, Facebook went public in May of 2012, Twitter in 2013. That's just, uh, and, and 
from there, they, they now dominate the industry. These platforms are fucking ubiquitous. I mean, Facebook has like 2.6 billion monthly users, active monthly users. Um, and that, that was, those are, those are numbers from the first quarter of 2020. Twitter has 126 daily, uh, 126 million daily users as of February of 2019. And YouTube has 2 billion users. Um, politicians today use websites like Twitter and Facebook as part of their jobs. Trump fired former Secretary of State Rex Tillerson in a tweet. Uh, actually, Trump got sued for blocking people. The court cited that as a, as a reason why he, he, couldn't, uh, he couldn't block people, because they said that his, his use of Twitter had created a, a public forum of sorts. Yeah, I was actually part of that lawsuit. Yeah, really? I think it was the Knight Center at Columbia was part of it. And I was just contacted because I think I'd, I had tweeted a few times that I was blocked. And they actually, yeah, they got me unblocked. So thank God my life is so much better now. That is fascinating. <laughs> That's really cool. Look, we have, our, we have our own piece of history on this podcast. Gilded Age. One of the Gilded Boys is, is a piece of history. He belongs in a museum. <laughs> we should put that, that clip from Indiana Jones in, right in there. So social media became a huge integral part of our lives, but it's important to understand how that situation came to be. And to do that, we have to look at the law. So in 1996, Congress passes the Communications Decency Act. And this, this is an act that's largely aimed at controlling porn uh, and cracking down on, on, on online pornography. Because back in the 90s, everybody was still freaked out that, there, that you could have porn directly, you stream directly to your house and anybody could activate it. Like the most graphic things that you could possibly imagine could be brought right into your living room your kid could stumble upon it with the websites like the white house.com or whatever. And I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> so naturally a lawsuit arises and uh, most of the communications decency act is struck down in the following year in 1997. But one particular part of it survives and that is section 230. Section 230 basically says that no platform can be liable for third-party content. And that's sort of the basic building block of everything online today. It's, it's why we have user reviews on Amazon. It's why we have social media platforms. Uh, it's, it's, it's been called the most important um, free speech legislation ever. Uh, and it really did revolutionize the world. The, the theory, of course, is like, let's say... Let's say Facebook is a, a bookstore and the, the content that users post on Facebook are the books. The bookstore can't be liable for the books, which, you know, that makes sense to me. Um, so before Section 230, you had what is known as the moderator's dilemma. Like websites tried to make uh, websites that tried to make family friendly environments or like crack down on content were actually held to uh, you know accountable in court, whereas websites that didn't do anything about it generally were not. So it, it created a problem. Like how much can you moderate? Do you risk being liable for the third party content on your website, or do you just have a free for all wild west environment and not do anything? So this is what made it possible for 
any any of these platforms be built, right? Because there'd be such an immense risk in even starting to build it if you were liable for anything that anyone put on it. Right. So Section 230 solves the moderator's dilemma. It gives websites the the ability to moderate, uh, indeed, maybe even a mandate to moderate, uh, while giving them a shield to liability. So you you can as a moderating your your the content on your website is not going to open you up to liability like it would before section 230. So one of the earliest cases for section 230 is Zoran versus America Online Inc. Uh so Ken Zoran is this guy his name is attached to an ad for an offensive t-shirt that references the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing. The t-shirts say Naughty Oklahoma. Um which you know is is pretty offensive. I think we could all agree it's pretty offensive. Um, and he alleges that AOL was negligent in failing to respond to the ads, but he loses. And the court reasons that be- thanks to Section Two Thirty, AOL doesn't have any obligation to to um, to him. They don't have to moderate the content because they don't. They're not liable for it. So this case was in '96 after the bombing, um, yes. after the bombing and after the act passed, of course. And so it's it's a test case for for it, and, and maybe not the best result. I mean, you probably feel bad for for Ken Zaran, uh, poor guy's name and reputation were you know attached to these offensive T-shirts, and and uh, he ends up losing. But it is important because out of Section Two Thirty arises the modern internet. I mean, can you imagine if Facebook were liable for the content of well, your content or my content? I mean, it just, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really work. So there, there is a potential problem with Section 230, and that is the Good Samaritan Clause, which allows providers uh, to curate content as they see fit, as long as it's done in good faith. And so this opens the door for arbitrary moderation. Um, and that, that we see, we do see that today where, like, you know, Trump's tweet wasn't censorship. The, what happened to Trump's tweet was not censorship. Um, but I have had content that I've posted on Twitter, uh, specifically photos from Yemen, taken down on, under the same guidelines that, that Trump's tweet was cited for, glorifying violence. And uh, that's that's pretty problematic. Yeah, I mean, that, that seems like an example of a bad algorithm or something. But a lot of content moderation is done by by hand, by people. It's because there you can't you, you do have algorithms at play, but you don't and we'll get to that later, but a lot of it is done by by people. And that's it's difficult because you have tweets that may seem threatening, may seem violent, uh, but it turns out they're either newsworthy or maybe the context makes it not violent like what if somebody tweeted like all the other kids with their pumped up kicks better better run better run out run my my bullet like foster the people that reverence right that could be uh that could be seen as a threat to you know or you know somebody a school shooter a potential school shooter or it could be a song lyric or it could be an inside joke or or whatever there's actually a really great ted talk about this um just sort of explaining section 230. Uh, although I, I have to say, I disagree with the, with the speaker's um, ultimate conclusion that, that this, that this uh, part of the law has to be preserved exactly as it is today. Uh, and is sort of sacrosanct. Anyway, 
I think that I think that this is a good jumping off point for our discussion of, of censorship, um, be, because while you may end up getting rid of some content that is problematic or violent, uh, you could also these companies are not they're not newsrooms they don't have editors uh, they don't have they don't have the resources or even or the wherewithal to judge what is newsworthy and what is not. Um, and given how big they are, censoring, censoring content, the, the potential for, for harm is very great. Well, I'll have plenty of uh, stuff to say about some of those things you say. I just want to, I think it's worth noting that um, the U.S. is pretty unique in having this Section 30. Uh, it's, uh, European countries, Canada, Japan, really most other countries don't have similar statutes uh, on the books. So um, that, that might be something to discuss in a later episode, kind of comparing our system to other countries. But um, and, and there's social media in, in those countries, too, Facebooks and oh, sure. Europe. And yeah, with the exception of China and North Korea and a few other. Right. <laughs> um, they have their own censorship that's a, a little heavy handed. So yeah, I mean that's that's true, and and we can we can discuss that in a later episode. But it's important to note that when that government efforts to sort of reform Section two thirty uh, have or or, or you know, have greater liability, government efforts have been sort of counterproductive. You had FOSTA, uh, the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act of twenty eighteen, uh, that was that was pushed through which says websites are liable for knowing or could or possibly if if they know or could have known about sex trafficking on their service then they're liable and the result of this actually made it harder for law enforcement to track sex trafficking because it's no longer online and it made it made it harder for sex workers who were forced back onto the street um and ultimately resulted in a bunch of websites just shuttering their their personal sections. Uh, for example, Craigslist took down its personals page. Tumblr banned adult content. Facebook banned adult speech. Uh, and in addition to that, it's it made it more difficult for startup companies to compete because these big companies have the resources to deal with that regulation Whereas the small companies may not, they can't handle the fees, the, 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 the fines. Um, and so the, the crackdown has been sort of, uh, really, I think counterproductive. Yeah. So that, that is, that is such a, another interesting dynamic at play. You, you, you see these big companies often inviting regulation because these are hurdles that they will manage and they might be expensive, but what they do is they freeze out competition because no, no smaller, yep. um, you know, soon to be social media app or whatever will have the resources to 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 handle all this at first. That's that's true. Well, and also if you're a big enough company with enough DC lobbyists, you can help write the regulations uh, yeah. with your lobbyists. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of like the oil companies. Uh, want it's kind of starting to say they want a carbon tax because they know they can control that legislative process. It seems like every time something bad happens on the internet, there are calls for censorship. And the best example of this that we're going to talk about through this episode is uh, the 2016 election and the revelations that Russia interfered through social media platforms. So, of course, the news that, that Russia acted against Hillary Clinton 
uh, via online memes and, and ads sparked huge outrage among Democrats and, and liberals. So you have uh, you have a greater demand for, for content moderation. You have Joe Biden coming out and saying that Section 230 should be revoked, uh, immediately should be revoked, number one. Uh, for Zuckerberg and other platforms, it should be revoked because it is not merely an internet company. It's propagating falsehoods they know to be false. But even even the progressives have sort of gotten on board with this idea that maybe it's time for social media companies to to regulate their content. Uh, Bernie Sanders in 2019 says tech giants and other online platforms should not be shielded from responsibility when they knowingly allow content on their platforms that promotes and facilitates violence. Um, you know, obviously Bernie Sanders is not, he's not, that's not uh, language to be inj- injected into legislation. It's just a general principle. Uh, I don't find the principle objectionable, but I do worry about the language of any legislation that attempts to do that. Um, Attorney General William Barr has, in response to the to Trump saying social media companies have like an anti-conservative bias, uh, his administration has, has also sought to crack down on um, Section 230. William Barr's recommendations include uh, restrictions on cyber stalking and terrorism, and uh, as well as measures to punish sort of arbitrary moderation, which may ultimately be uh, a good thing. Um, cracking down on arbitrary moderation by these companies, although I do think it misses the the main point that perhaps the time has come to nationalize these platforms. We'll, well get to that. We don't, I mean, I don't know what arbitrary really means in this context. I mean, I generally well, would, would assume that anything that William Barr is proposing is, is, has completely malicious intent. Um, but do you know what they mean by arbitrary? So, so Barr's proposal would, would only grant immunity for moderation decisions that are quote, done in accordance with plain and particular terms of service and accompanied by a reasonable explanation. That to me doesn't sound objectionable. So they're just well, but terms of service that the company set themselves. So they're just saying you have to right, abide which, by your own rules, which is technically yes. what's supposed to be happening now. Right. It, it it seems toothless to be honest. It doesn't it doesn't sound it doesn't sound bad. Although I would like to have some kind of general principle that applies to these platforms, or just nationalize them. We'll we'll we'll, we'll get to this. Um, well, so, uh, yeah, and I also, I wanted to mention, I just came across a uh, Tom Hartman op-ed today. Um, I was listening to his podcast and he mentioned it and then I was like, oh, wow, we're about to record on the very topic. So he actually wrote about 2.30 and, and Hartman is a progressive uh, radio commentator. He's been on the airways for a long time. He, his, his AM show, AM radio show actually introduced me to Bernie Sanders um, back probably around 2010 or so when I was, I had a car and I was driving and, you know, I lived in North Carolina and I had calls to listen to the radio a lot. Um, so that was, that was kind of interesting, but, um, he, he wrote an article recently and it talks first of all about the origin of what's called qualified immunity. And he says it first took, took hold in 1967 in a Supreme court case called Pearson versus Ray, when it was used to shield white police officers from a lawsuit they face for enforcing segregation. Um, so that's, I mean, that doesn't necessarily, I mean, it doesn't necessarily tie in with today, but it kind of does in a way because a lot of this talk around um, 230 and the, the immunity of, of corporations against you know racist speech. Um, so there is kind of a correlation. Um, so basically, Tom Hartman in the, in the 80s and early 90s, he worked as a moderator on message boards for CompuServe. And he, I guess he and his, his partner were kind of directing the operation. There was a lot of employees because they had to be uh, on call 24-7. 
because they had to remove, this was in the 80s and early 90s before the Communications Decency Act uh, was law. And before Section 230, of course, uh, was part of that. Um, so Tom Hartman argues that Facebook and Twitter should not be immune from liability. Um, now, I think his argument is saying that, yo, in the 80s and 90s, like, you know, a fledgling, a small company, uh, you know, I guess CompuServe uh, was probably slight, you know, it wasn't a small company, but it wasn't a Facebook sized company. So he said, you know, we, we were able to handle this because it was, it was a relatively small operation. And um, we were liable for, for content that we published on our site. That was third party content. It was people just writing stuff on, on our, on our blogs, you know? Um, and, and basically, I, you know, what that, what that means is that, um, you know, if Facebook and Twitter had had to abide by these, these, this restriction liability, they never would have scaled up to the size they are now. Um, and Facebook, you know, which is providing Mark uh, Zuckerberg with $80 billion worth of, worth of wealth, which is what he's worth now. I think that's shot up during COVID. Um, that wouldn't have happened. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be the powerful billionaire he is now if his company had actually had to consider liability for what, what you know, its users post on, on, on its platform. Um, so I think that's an interesting take. Um, and I'm not opposed to it. I mean, I, I guess I would say I'm sympathetic to it. I, I'm not 100% for or against it, but I think that it is a an interesting perspective from a radio broadcaster who has worked in content moderation in the past. But, okay, so to give you an idea of, like, how difficult it is to moderate content today, every minute, 400 hours of, of content is uploaded to YouTube, right? Like, like moderating that is hugely, it's A, it's hugely expensive. It's, it's, it's almost Im impossible. I know, but... Right. but so I'm working backwards might be is tougher than than kind of just like going back in time and never passing the act. But I'm, my, my argument is that these are giant monopolies that you know, many politicians are talking about trying to break up for antitrust reasons. But they're they're so big and their CEOs are so wealthy and, and so powerful, that wouldn't have happened if they hadn't had immunity from the content that they publish. Maybe not, but we also might not have websites like YouTube in the first place. I mean, this is this is the this is the great dilemma of this topic. Like you have on the one hand like these the the size of these social networks is revolutionizing the way humans interact. Like you can get news from Yemen directly into your feed from uh living in like Wyoming directly into your Twitter feed. You can you can know what's happening halfway around the world. Uh, you can be exposed to brutality. And as Mark said, you can sympathize and feel and feel shame and anger and outrage about something that is that you would never even come in contact with without social media. So that's, that's huge. That's an important thing. But the, the position that I take on this is that perhaps, perhaps there's a need to have a a social media platform that is national, that's that's not run by a private company, where the outer bounds of what is acceptable content are the outer bounds of the First Amendment. So it doesn't protect incitement, it doesn't protect threats uh, and and harassment, but, but it would protect um, pretty much anything else. So, so you think that those, you, you think that there are necessary evils? Um, right that and the net good outweighs yes i think that the the benefit of having a, a national uh social media platform where you can be exposed to anything and content restrictions are subject to first content 
based restrictions are subject to strict scrutiny by the Supreme Court uh, under the First Amendment. I think that is an ideal that is that is a good system. I, I don't know. I, I'm pretty wary of, of the government being the ones to, to say what's protect, protected speech and what's not. I mean, given how quickly governments can turn fascist or how quickly the Supreme Court can turn right wing and politicized, I'm not really I, I don't think I would, I would be in favor of that. And, I, I know you, some community groups are also not in favor you, of that. You do, you do already see how quickly this becomes political because when when the the left pushes to moderate content it's because um they're it's detrimental to them politically what's going on and then the right does the same thing when it's detrimental to them um so i i I do hear you but i i do think it's better than just these you know technocrats in a boardroom somewhere deciding um, what a billion people are going well, to be thinking today. I don't think that's today. good either. I think there's, I mean, we've, we've touched on it and we'll touch on it later. So, um, but yeah, we, we need to have uh, experts on hate speech and on, on misinformation and things, um, you know, be together. And, and, and as one of you said, you know, and I think Mark, you said in a, you know, a coalition that can work independently of, of the companies themselves and these idiot, the idiot executives who have no idea uh, about the impacts of, of what their platforms are doing. But here's the thing. Hate speech is protected threats and incitement are not under the first amendment so you're saying what 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 should be what should be allowed on social media platforms it would be the same thing that would be allowed in the public square exactly because i think these platforms are the new public square i mean look facebook is two as 2 billion 2.6 billion active monthly users twitter twitter is used by virtually every politician in this country um to to connect with voters to even conduct business I'm just saying there's there's two different uh, ways to look at it in terms of, of how these platforms are used. Like one is post to post, looking at tweet tweet by tweet or Facebook post by Facebook post, right? That's an easy way to be like, okay, this is this is one iteration of speech, and I'm going to like use my my kind of rubric or whatever I have to determine if it's incitement to violence or not. Even though there is a lot of gray area, I would argue, in, in even within the, where hate speech turns into incitement and, and what what that means. But the other thing is just in, in terms of accounts, like canceling accounts or, or suspending accounts. And I certainly am someone who, as someone who's reported a lot on online hate speech and online hate and hate groups that recruit online and things like that, um, I think that companies, um, again, with advisory from you know outside groups like the Southern Poverty Law Center, Color of Change, the Lawyers Committee on Civil Rights, groups like that, which are banding together in a coalition and recommend and begging these companies to to let them help them out and let them uh, and tell them what tools to adopt. Um, I think that taking down a lot of these hate groups from mainstream social media platforms is a really important thing, and it is happening, but just too slowly. But when you when you get these people off of Facebook, for example, where they can moderate their language, not necessarily get kicked off for a post by post you know basis, um, but then they can recruit people uh, to their websites and to their you know encrypted Discord chats and things like that. That's what that's where they really radicalize the people they were trying to recruit. So Facebook and Twitter, but especially Facebook, are used as tools to recruit you know white nationalist extremists. And I think you know that's and important. I, I, I do I do think that there is. I, I I love how clean the um the idea of treating social media just like the public square and just deferring to the constitution is, but there are important differences um between just saying something in the public square and saying it on social media. And this gets into, you know, ad dollars and how easy it is to amplify um certain voices and certain ideas, and then it gets into the algorithms that are now running these platforms. Um 
because it they um they're optimized to favor certain certain things and um it can it can turn these platforms into propaganda machines very easily so algorithms um this is a word that you've probably heard a ton um but if you're like me you did not really fully understand what an algorithm is and what it does um so at their basis level they're basically these invisible sets of instructions that tell a computer how to accomplish a certain task and you can think of them as like these little invisible wizards within the machine on your phone deciding what content you're going to see today what you're going to hear um what what's going to get pushed to the forefront um and these these algorithms have now in the digital age where we live you know on our screens as much as in the real world got gained so much control over our lives more than any of us would really want to think about you know they'll they'll decide everything from what you're going to watch um you know what's going to be boiling walker's ass today uh <laughs> you know even even now like it seeped into your romantic prospects right because this alg- algorithm is giving you um you know on tinder or whatever the app is a, a menu of of choices that are that could affect the rest of your life and you don't see how these things work behind the scenes um but let's just focus for this discussion on algorithms in the content in the context of what you're seeing on your newsfeed um so you guys might remember back in the day um 5 10 years ago which is like a lifetime ago uh when posts were sorted chronologically so you'd see st- stuff in your feed from your friends in the order that it was posted in. Um, that's not the case anymore. Algorithms are now sorting the posts that you see in your newsfeed, and they're doing it based on, quote, uh, relevancy, rather than when these things were published. Uh, but the rub is, what does relevance mean, and, and who decides this? Um, so you're not deciding this, uh, not consciously at least. The decision now is mostly made um, based on uh, what's most likely to grab your attention and to hold your attention. So this is what the algorithms are optimizing for because this is what generates the most ad revenue. And at the heart of this thing is the advertising model. That's why Mark Zuckerberg is worth $80 billion. That's where, that's where all the money comes from. So it's not optimizing for what would make you a, a healthier person, a better person, a more informed citizen. It's, ma- it's optimized for what's going to make you click to engage and to spend more time on the platform. Um, and so there's this kind of, I guess it's become a trope now that when you're not paying for a service, then you are the product. Um, which is true. Uh, more precisely though, your attention and your time is the product. And uh, I like to, I can picture Mark Zuckerberg just feeding on your attention, like, like Shin Godzilla feasts on radiation, right? And, <laughs> Every time, you, every second you spend looking at the screen, it's just making him bigger and stronger and, and then more he morphs monstrous. into like a different type type of life form, and then he morphs into and another then he destroys the city, form. and then eventually the world. Oh, great! Movie. So I think I, I like to hope he's awful guy. Great this, movie. <laughs> yes, the best Godzilla, in yes. my opinion. Uh, no, 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 no. The second best Godzilla. Second best Godzilla. What's the first best Godzilla? Gojira. Oh, I don't know. Come on, the first one, the first Godzilla ever. I haven't haven't seen it in a while. Oh my God, you got to watch it again. If you're listening to this on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your casts, please consider becoming a paid subscriber on Patreon. 
for five bucks a month, you'll get access to premium episodes, which will often be interviews with politicians, candidates, reporters, authors, and professors. So if you can, please pitch in at patreon.com slash gilded age. So back to, uh, you know, why attention turns Mark Zuckerberg into Godzilla. Uh, so <laughs> to understand this, uh, we, we, let's talk about the attention economy. So now, nowadays, every business, whether it's, it's a meditation app or it's the New York Times or it's Facebook, Netflix, Twitter, they're all competing for your attention because more time and more attention means more ad revenue. Uh, so this is the way you win is to get people's attention and to hold it for as long as possible. And naturally now there's this arms race for people's attention. And we need more and more of it every day and every month and every year. Uh, and it turns out that the best way to win uh, is to understand how people's minds work and their their vulnerabilities and to game that. Um, and so there are, there are teams of engineers now behind the curtain designing just ever more insidious ways to get you to pay attention to their app uh, and spend more time on their products. So for example, these notification buttons, um, they're designed like slot machines to spit out intermittent variable rewards so that opening your app gives you the same little dopamine rush that you feel when you pull the lever on a slot machine. Um, or, you know, they plan our basic needs for social validation or to reciprocate. You know, you see people's birthday notifications every day and then you need to go onto the app, wish them a happy birthday and in the process go, th go through your newsfeed and see everything that Facebook also wants to show you. God, that's, um, that's one of the things I, I miss least about Facebook. I quit Facebook a couple of years ago. Um, is, is just literally the people I, I haven't heard from in the, in 365 days. Um, and who just say happy birthday. And that's it. They just yeah. write happy. And sometimes there's, there's not even an exclamation point. And sometimes it's just HBD. It's, it's like, like this, it's like the saddest, most forced HBD ever. Right. Right. I'm like, I'm like, guys, come on. Like at least capitalize your acronym. Fuck. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of it too, because people write happy birthday to me and then I feel bad, you know, two months <laughs> later when I don't go back and say the same thing back to them. It makes me feel like you a just bad have to person. be an asshole and say, I'm not going to stoop. I don't feel you. bad. <laughs> I just take all the happy birthdays. <laughs> You're a terrible person, Walker. <laughs> no, I, look, it's, um, no, no, it's, it's, it's in the larger scheme of things, the right thing to do. Ig yeah, ignore, just take your take your happy, happy birthdays, birthdays. gentlemen. <laughs> ignore, ignore the, Just say thank you, and you know, move on, and like, un hopefully, understand that you know the people will understand that you don't spend all of your time on on social media, and like, they please, they don't remember your fucking birthday. They saw it because of Facebook. So like, you know, maybe you weren't on Facebook that day, or maybe you were. I don't know. That's how this is how I rationalize it to myself. I, I'm I'm for it. I support you. I mean, I'm for like, I, I don't want to be seen as a hypocrite because I did rejoin recently um, just because of a project that I'm working on. And eventually I'm going to, I had to like create a page, you know, like to look at a, tell, a, your, a page, tell yourself right? what you need wait, to, Alex. Wait, wait, let's, <laughs> let's, wait, let's do an experiment. What's my birthday, Alex? Uh, <laughs> what month is my birthday, Alex? Uh, Mark, what month is my birthday? August. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> That's my birthday. Um, yeah. Well, no, Walker, we've only been, we've only known each other like a year and a half. So I, th I feel like I can, uh, like I get a little leeway because it's only been a year and a half. Yeah, and but it's been a good year and a half. It's Alex. been the best year and a half of my life. Are you kidding? Right. Are you, yeah. It's the, it's, you know, highlight of my, of my time on this planet. Thank you. I would expect so. But, you know, I, and honestly, <laughs> s several months out of that year and a half have been quarantined. So, um, 
I don't know. I, yeah, but we've, we, we've spent time together during quarantine. Well, we have. We have managed to do that a little bit. But when is your dang birthday? August 4th. Oh, it is August. So Mark was right. It is. Okay. Yeah, it is. So, he, he is right. So we're, well, that should be easy because I'm also August. So it shouldn't be hard to remember that. <laughs> I wished Mark happy birthday, but I don't know the month. <laughs> Did you say I'm HBD? A I'm, a, I'm a Libra. I'm a bad friend. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> and I've known and I've known Mark for for a decade. Oh, no, it's Facebook because you're used to Facebook just telling you it's taking our autonomy away from I'm us. I'm so used to it. Uh, so these algorithms um, are now deciding what's in your newsfeed, right? And it and it they're they're optimized to get your attention. It turns out um, that things that are good for us are not really the best at holding our attention. Uh, it turns out that things like outrage. Uh, or pictures of cute animals. These are really persuasive and really effective at getting us to spend more time on these platforms. So the algorithm learns to optimize for serving you this kind of content. Um, and in turn, all these publications like the New York Times, all of journalism and, uh, you know, a ton of other industries uh, who are also working on the advertising model and have become slaves, let themselves become slaves to these social media platforms to get their audience, uh, learn to optimize for this too. Uh, and this is where the whole clickbait phenomena comes from, right? And it's hard to to overstate what a terrible incentive this is and what a problem it poses. Because when you're getting paid just to get people to click, there's no incentive, for example, to do uh, a long-form, well-researched piece about, you know, uh, Russia in the 90s, for example, to take a piece that Walker worked on. Uh, these things take a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of thought and a lot of energy um, to write. Um, so this 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 really gets at at the heart of what's destroying journalism. There's just no incentive to do good journalism anymore because, in the marketplace of attention, you'll get outcompeted by listicles about llamas who think that they're models, or just a recapitulation, <laughs> you know, of the latest outrageous Trump tweet, and then they get their click and they get their money, and they're in and they're out. Yeah, I mean, I I feel very fortunate in my career as a journalist. I've never had to write like five articles a day or three articles a day, like a lot of poor journalists have to do but it, it is crushing just to like be in the same newsroom as people have to do that and like i really like feel really awful for them it's it's so tough and and fortunately there are subscription model is still a thing i think patreon is great um and people yeah. are still well I, I, we need a mass movement to to just subscribe um because the more we can pay people for the work they're doing uh the less the less of a stranglehold people like mark zuckerberg are going to have on our on our attention, on our discussion, uh, on our minds. Yeah, I mean, that's a really great uh, connection you're making between uh, just Mark Zuckerberg being a, a tyrant and Facebook being uh, sort of uh, impossible to ignore and, and just in the death of, of media. I mean, if it, I guess like the way to really counter Facebook and to you know stop your your kind of enslavement to these these giant uh, tech properties is to go to reader support models subscription models uh, or go nonprofit and try to get grants which of course is easier said than done please, please subscribe to our podcast yeah please subscribe to our podcast five bucks a month or nine bucks a month for uh, bonus episodes and a monthly AMA with the Gilded Boys um, but uh, you Ooh, know like, that's exciting we get to meet our audience yeah we're waiting for for I just put that that's a new um, a new kind of sponsorship level on our Patreon. So it's nine bucks a month. I believe um, if you pay five bucks a month, you're going to, you're considered a railroad tycoon and uh, nine <laughs> bucks a month is a, like a steel, a steel baron, I think. So uh, we, Alex, I'm very impressed with the, with the, uh, these like gimmicky things where we're to our listeners. We're, we're very uh, accessible people. 
Um, not not very intimidating people. Not a lot. Not a lot of uh, you know pomp and circumstance. I mean, Although, I mean, look at us. Yeah, and imagine if you're <laughs> imagine if you're a, a you know a railroad tycoon and you're coming into our AMA and asking us all these questions. I mean, uh, we're going to give you all the respect that you deserve. So, so this. So this so this business model it's this is going on with all the questions of censorship and what content to show and what not to show and it's it's also a consideration like Pringles Lay's Pepsi or whoever owns Pringles does not want their Pringles ad next to the the pictures that you know Walker's funneling in from Yemeni about Yemen about the atrocities happening there so this is another sort of just perverse incentive and the whole tangle of perverse incentives that are right face Twitter doesn't want. Twitter wants to be uh, a widely accessed platform. It wants people using it. It wants people enjoying their experience. So it doesn't particularly have any incentive to run a graphic image from Yemen. Um, even though, even though that's like the most important and valuable thing that this that could come of this platform is people seeing what's going on in the world. Right. To give to give people a little background, uh, Yemen is facing now COVID on top of being five years a war-torn nation cut off from the rest of the world by a, a U.S.-backed Saudi blockade. Uh, millions of people, like 20, 23 million, 22 million people there are on the are food insecure. Um, their medical infrastructure has been decimated. Uh, 100,000 people have died in the conflict, uh, the fighting, the constant air raids, and it's 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 been called the world's worst humanitarian crisis. It's the, it's ground zero for history's worst cholera outbreak, and and now it faces COVID. So, you know, it, it's it's an important story. It'll be probably one of the most underreported stories from this time, and one of the things that we look back on in in thirty, forty, fifty years, and really, really regret. Uh, how how this crisis was handled, how the world did not step in, how we left Yemen to its fate. Um, so yeah, that's that's why it's so important that these images get out. Yeah. That's why it's so important that Yemeni journalists don't have to feel uh, that they have to censor their own content, that they can post what they what they need to or, post. Or that they'll they'll go through all the work of putting their lives online to get it, and then Twitter will take it down. Right, and. It also, there's another aspect to this. It opens them up to attack by bots who report their tweets or, um, or malicious users who will go and report their tweets with the graphic content and Twitter will limit their accounts or take the tweets down. And, and so it's, it's a very bad, that is not a workable system today. Where, whereas if this were a national system and the, the outer bounds here were for a U.S. based company were, um, you know, the first, the outer bounds of the First Amendment, that content would not be able to be restricted. Well, I mean, you, I don't know. I f feel like you're being pretty optimistic. I mean, given, given the United States role in, in, arming the Saudis who have been massacring the Yemenis for several years. Like, uh, you know, it, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't really trust the government to impartially regulate, uh, speech. But it's not. Yemen. It's not government regulating this. Like, it, in the public forum, it's not the. It's. I mean, the, there is some regulation of, of uh, expression. I mean, time, place, and manner restrictions on on expression. But you you wouldn't have the same. You're looking at it like the government would lay out a set of, of boundaries, but those 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 uh, limits would be 
would would have to be tailored to uh, meet the the requirements of the First Amendment, and there is a legal system for that. And I don't know. I always I'm I'm on the the side of of less regulation is better because there's no way to guarantee that newsworthy content doesn't get taken down if we if we mandate these private companies start you know regulating their content a certain way. There's no guarantee that they're going to protect newsworthy content. Yeah, but there's also a guarantee that hate groups are going to be targeting people and there's going to be ill effects of that. So, I mean, it, it's, it's complicated. But we're the big, the U.S. government is the biggest hate group in the world. <laughs> we cause more devastation. Yeah, to so that's why they shouldn't, other. that's why they shouldn't be in charge of policing our speech. Um, but it's there. But it's not policing our speech. It's just, it's, it's maintaining an open forum for well, speech. Well, but maybe, but you know, look, I mean, there there's going to be all kinds of lawsuits and you know, you're, you're only, if you do get something taken down, then like, I mean, this, this goes for, for whoever's moderating, you know, it's just like, at least there's a process then, right? At least there's a process. Whereas if, 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 if Twitter takes something, but if Twitter takes something down, it's, it's a private company. Yeah. But only people with money can do these lawsuits, right? Like there's going to be these inequities built into it. I, I don't, I don't really think it would be that successful. No system is perfect, but it's far better that that a, a court of law is reviewing the takedown of of content uh, compared to a private company that is head that's incentive is to draw clicks and to maintain a, like the most the widest user base possible. Like the incentives for a private company are all wrong oh, uh, to handle course. a forum for for. That affects the national discourse. If these companies would agree to have outside experts do that work and set the terms for them, that would probably be better than the government monitoring our speech. Um, but, but that's also what's there to mandate that. Well, I, again, what, they, how are you going to how are you going to mandate that? How are, like public sure, pressure? They, they public ha- pressure. Like you know, I mean, it sucks. It's not easy. But I mean, a lot of companies are leaving Facebook now, and then like immediately, um, Zuckerberg like made some changes to their their rules, probably temporary and probably bullshit. But it was all, like nothing else worked. It doesn't matter like what Trump says or does. It's only that ad revenue it's, was really it's dropping. The, it's the, it comes down to the ad revenue. So if public sure, sentiment but, but, is against like online hate and misinformation, then that's actually going to positively impact. Sure, but public sentiment. Public sentiment isn't going to be like you should allow these pictures of of uh, children with their heads blown apart from this war zone that you know the, these these bodies that that were that were uh, piled up by U.S. armaments like that's that's not going to be there's not going to be public pressure for that it's going to be whatever's popular whatever's trendy at the moment or like we get so outraged over individual things we don't look at bigger systemic. Well, that's actually my uh, argument. Evils. My argument is that the bigger systemic argument is not about what tweets, you know, you've got, you, you, what if your tweets have been taken down and things like that. It's that there are organizations out there that are experts on, you know, hate and discrimination that are saying that the positives outweigh the negatives if we uh, actively, you know, uh, campaign and these, these, these companies do take down hate speech and they do take down a certainly incitement to violence speech. Um, that's but, what, that's what people, have, you know, people from, you know, like experts on hate and communities of color are saying. But taking down like hate speech is protected speech under the first amendment. So yes, under the model that I'm proposing where it's a national forum, hate speech would be allowed. Threats and incitement would not, that's not protected speech. And you, that could be, that can be restricted. I know, but there's, like I said, there's not, there's a very fine line between 
hate speech and incitement to violence. So uh, what do you? But you're you know? just getting rid of the. What you're doing is you're getting rid of the for-profit motive. So, and you're getting rid of the arbitrary moderation that exists today. Like glorifying violence. What does glorifying violence mean? Certainly, Twitter thought that it meant um, a video showing. Yemenis digging out the bodies well, of their children. I, I think that was, I think the individual case that you're talking about, Walker, is just a bad um, decision. But it happens repeatedly. And I've talked to journalists in Yemen who are reporting on the devastation around them who say that they don't feel comfortable posting everything online because because they don't want their accounts to be limited or censored or, or, uh, or deactivated. I mean, this is... This is the danger here of having a private company in charge of it. They, they're not, they have no incentive to, they have, first of all, they have no, they have no journalistic responsibility or even appreciation for their role in the national discourse. As much as they may attest to it, they don't really have an appreciation for the role that they play. And I think today, these platforms have gotten so much, so big, they're so ubiquitous, they have, they're so impactful that they, it can't be left in private hands. It, sim- it simply can't. It has to. There has to be a clear process, a clear set of of restrictions um, that apply, and and, a, and an appreciation for I don't know, open dialogue. No, yeah, no, there, there need there. I, I and I, I agree with you that there needs to be that it shouldn't be decisions by again Zuckerberg or um, you know just any anyone at the helm of these companies. They should not be arbitrating what we can see and what we can't see. Um, Nor should it be mob rule. And it shouldn't be, it should not be, it should not be mob rule either. I mean, I, I am all for building, building, uh, whether it's a government entity or non-government entity, just a a transparent committee where the rules are clear. Um, There's an arbitration process where things are transparent, um, where there's not just a wall of silence that you're shouting into. If you want to, um, you know, appeal something having been taken down, um, and and we can make it these communities just much better um, places for for discussion, and um, and just and make them forces for good instead of you know um, just at worst propaganda arms that are just feeding off of people's outrage. Well, yeah, I, I would just recommend. I, I like what Change the Terms is doing. That's a coalition of Color of Change, SPLC, Lawyers Committee, etc. It's changetheterms.org, and I think they have a, a very it's kind of smart takes on a lot of these issues. Yeah, and they definitely don't advocate for a government kind of moderated um, system. Um, I'm of two minds of that, you know. But um, I think if we're talking about like this stuff is going to go in the just be arbitrated in the courts. I mean, th- think about how long that stuff's going to take, like versus human moderators. Um, so I, I don't know, but uh, I just think you know, change of terms has has some good ideas, um, and they have a definition for for um, incitement to violence, you know, that kind of stuff um, that I think that these companies really should take heed of. There's a lot of uh, problems with with the, the large social media companies. Um, and uh, certainly not the least of which is uh, that these companies accept money for paid political advertisements. Um, Twitter actually decided not to continue its its program of running uh, election ads pretty recently, but Facebook uh, clearly has not stopped the practice. Um, you know, we get into issues of money being speech, which of course we talked about in our episode on Buckley v. Vallejo, which is which is completely absurd. Um, but we also have foreign countries uh, that are uh, using Facebook. 
um, and until recently Twitter, to run uh, at least suggestively political ads, if not overtly political ads, uh, which is actually illegal if they're tied to elections and supporting or um, or opposing certain candidates who are up for election. Um, you know, and we talked a little bit about this uh, earlier uh, about you know the RussiaGate issues. So this is actually a good a good thing to talk about because even if these platforms were publicly run or were public platforms, you'd still run into this issue. Like maybe you don't have the same, you don't have the problem of algorithms, but you do have the problem of Buckley where in a public square, you know, paid political ads or you could, you could ostensibly be overrun with paid political ads. So, so while I do think that ultimately the direction we should go is, having a public social media platform, uh, I do recognize that we, before we get there, we have to crack, we have to change the, the, the standard that was set in Buckley where spending money is, is speech. Uh, because otherwise we will just have, uh, a free for all among America's, uh, political class of who can, who can propagandize the most. So these, these social media platforms basically put, um, Buckley on 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 steroids because it's it's there's never been a more um, closer connection between money and speech. You can literally, you know, put a, put a credit card in on Facebook or Instagram and just turn the dial as loud as you want, depending on how much money you have, and amplify your speech. Which is which is why I do think that there needs to be more regulation and, and consideration to to speech than is given in a public square where everyone's voice is equal. Well, yeah, and, and there's there's definitely the issue of um, you know online political advertising being fairly new, uh, and uh, are already you know deficient campaign finance regulations uh, being even more deficient when they're trying to deal with this, and and expecting a company like Facebook to accurately label ads as independent expenditures, which means you're you're saying you know vote for this person or vote against this person, uh, versus electioneering communications, which are just like ads that have implications for an election that is upcoming. Um, and they address probably a candidate, but they don't actually tell the voter what to do, um, which are both two types of things that you need to report to the Federal Election Commission. Um, so Facebook is doing a terrible job of, of that, um, I would say. And there's also um, the even more concerning issue of, um, you know, are foreign entities able to take out political ads in American elections, which is completely illegal. Um, but, you know, there's the issue of perhaps um, first of all, just does Facebook even know who's advertising on their platforms? Are there third-party ad buyers that other countries can use? And these are some things that were brought up in, in congressional hearings, that I, one of which Zuckerberg um, was in attendance for. But I don't think there's really been any resolution. And to make matters worse, the Federal Election Commission is again without a quorum. Um, it had a quorum of four people for six weeks. And uh, a Republican member just left, announced her retirement. She's going to work for a Charles Koch-funded organization called Stand Together. Now, the Kochs are, of course, known for opposing any restrictions on money and politics. Uh, it couldn't be more perfect that she would leave a defunct, basically a coalition that didn't do anything, was gridlocked, had recently been without a quorum, recently got a new guy who doesn't believe in uh, uh, regulating political speech is Trey Trainer is, is a new commissioner, but then she leaves. So that now they're down to three, which is below the number for a quorum. So it's, it's a pretty amazing situation out there. Um, but I just, this is all to say that, you know, the political advertising online is, um, that needs to be improved in a major way. So to summarize, social media platforms have become an integral part of our lives, an integral part of our national conversation. And yet, despite that, 
They are rife with problems. You have algorithms that prioritize the salacious. You have a profit incentive that is divorced from social need. And on top of that, you have paid political advertising, which is problematic in its own right, and loopholes for foreign nations to influence our elections that are, that are legal, legal loopholes. Uh, and so ultimately, and then of course, on top of all of that, you have online hate to deal with. So there, there are many facets to this problem. And where we ultimately come out is, this is uncharted territory as, as a country. We've never, the digital age is still nascent. Yeah, to bring it back to the beginning, we, we, we are subjects of the largest ever psychological experiment. That's true. And it's unclear what the results will be. So whether, whether we have just better regulation of, of these private companies, these private platforms, that seems to be the most immediate the most immediate fix, uh, or if we ultimately end up nationalizing and having uh, a national online uh, social media platform, that's still very that's still very far off in the future. But it's unclear the direction that we we are headed. Um, we should be skeptical, I think, of calls to uh, demands on these companies to moderate their content because they don't have the 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 wherewithal to do it or even the right motivations behind it. And we, we're not sure that that's, we want to give them that power. The, it's, the, there's an irony here because the people that think these platforms are too powerful want to give them more power to, you know, shape the discussion and decide well, what we can and can't do, see. But, you know, but that, I mean, a third party can, could help moderation actually in both scenarios with, with, with these private companies, or if it were nationalized and it was a government, pla a government mark, you know, a government platform for speech, um, they could still be required to, to, um, delegate those decisions to, you know, to a, a council of, of experts on misinformation and hate speech and things like that. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm skeptical of, of what that committee would turn into. Like anything else would be politicized and you'd have like Candace Owens on there and then you'd have like Larry Lessig on there. It would just make no sense. But, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if there is. I mean, honestly, I, having had this discussion with you guys today, I'm actually more pessimistic about any kind of solution than I was going into this. And I kind of, I worry that there really isn't any, there's no way to stop it. Unless you shut down Facebook, there's no way to stop it. Well, I think that's sort of... The, the, genie, that's the, sort of, the genie's out of the bottle, though. There's no... Right. It's too late. That's And that's sort of why I support this idea of having, like, of nationalizing or having, like, a national thing. Because at least then there is a clear... There are a clear set of guidelines, and that's First Amendment law, which even in a, even a conservative court is, is going to be... Uh, may tend on the libertarian side, which I think is probably better when it comes to restricting content. We want a more libertarian approach to speech, except, except, and this is a big one, money. So as long as that standard is in play, what I'm talking about is unworkable. So it's, it is, it, it's a difficult situation. We face, we face uh, a big hurdle, but I think understanding the problem is probably the first step. And us, the, the three of us are not going to solve it here today. 
but it is food for thought for our listeners. And, you know, the moral of the story for me really is just to quit Facebook. So I encourage everyone to quit Facebook and stop giving Mark Zuckerberg your data and your money. Um, I know it's hard for organizers to, to do that. I have many friends who are in organizing and tell me it's just impossible the way things are right now to do what they're doing, the important work they're doing without the effective organizing tool of Facebook. Um, but, you know, just to, to oversimplify things, uh, I would just say, yeah, yeah, quit it. Just stop it. Cut it out. Stop. Data privacy is something we didn't even talk about today. Well, yeah, that's a whole that's a whole other issue uh, that we that we can talk about. Um, but anyway, if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our Patreon and listen to us and share us with your friends and family. Please do and rate us. Uh, Apple Apple Podcast has a rating system. Um, there's five stars. I would assume you're gonna you're gonna give us five stars, um, obviously, because we, we deserve it. So just do that. Well, someone's confident. <laughs> there's really no I, other I option, I, guys. Right, do you really want to be a I railroad tycoon a, or not? I mean, come on. If you can't be a tycoon, I give us a tycoon. three. I give us a solid three for sure. Three. That's pretty. Uh, come on, Walker. Five. Come on, man. Yeah. There, uh, Look, we're asking you to give us a six star rating. Um, exactly. On Yelp. Thank you very <laughs> much. <laughs> um, thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Gilded Age. Tune in next week for our next discussion of how and why we're fucked. 